we'll read the first four verses, and then uh, we'll skip down and read one more verse, verse 35, uh, in chapter 16 of Exodus. Are you there? Exodus 16, beginning at verse 1. Let's read together, shall we? Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And then skip down to verse 35. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, Lord, once again, I pray that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones, not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance. And Lord, I just take a moment also to pray for our sons and daughters that have wandered astray. I pray especially for them that you will bring them back where they need to be in you. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This was not what they signed up for, and nobody was happy. Once they finished celebrating their survival of the attack at the Red Sea, the children of Israel anticipated that it would only be a few days before they were settled down in their new home of the Promised Land, land of milk and honey. Had they headed straight to Canaan, the trip would have taken only about three days. However, the cloud of God's presence turned right and led them into a land that was dry and harsh with no resources to sustain such a large company of people. Within three days, their water ran out. Hoping to replenish their supply, they stopped at Mara only to discover that the waters were contaminated. The Bible says they were bitter. They were unfit to drink. That's when the grumbling started. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When the tree was cut down and cast into the water, the Bible says the waters were healed. Israel was nourished and refreshed, and the grumbling ceased. Leaving Marah, they came to an oasis named Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, one for each of the tribes and 70 date palm trees. There, Israel camped and rested. Elam was a welcome respite, but Elam wasn't the promised land. And so all too soon, it was time to strike camp and move on. 
As chapter 16 of the book of Exodus opens, Israel has left Elam and traveled into the wilderness area between Elam and Sinai. They're about a month and a half into their journey out of captivity, and the last of the food provisions they took from Egypt have been consumed. Babies are crying, children are whining, women are irritable, men are hangry. The grumbling before was mild and tame compared to the outcry against Moses and Aaron now that the food was gone. Feeling helpless in a hostile environment caused a distortion in perception. See, they declared in verse 3 of our text that they sat by their flesh pots and ate all they wanted of a great variety of foods and meats in Egypt. No, they didn't. Just a few weeks ago, they were slaves living in poverty. They were oppressed. They were treated worse than livestock. They could only look forward to a demeaning and demoralizing life. Their grumbling distorted their memory. They exaggerated the benefits of Egypt. They conveniently forgot about the the lash of the taskmaster and the anguish of their hearts to be free as they did the backbreaking work of the Pharaoh. In addition, they greatly exaggerated their imminent danger of starvation. They accused Moses in verse 3 by saying, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That may sound a little melodramatic, But the reality was that there is no physical way this large number of people can survive out in the desert. Their situation is hopeless. The only positive that exists in their present condition is that they are now in God's hands instead of the hands of the Egyptians. Be that as it may, they're still in a desert with no humanly possible way for things to work out. Now, here's what I know. If you are in a desert place in your life, my guess is that it's not a mistake. You are not there by accident. You're not there because of some sin in your life or because the devil is beating up on you. As a child of God, the reason you are where you are is because God has led you there. This is a predictable pattern for the way God works in the lives of his children. See, God begins with a promise. But right on the heels of that promise, he then tests your faith. Sometimes with a delay, sometimes with an adversity that appears to cancel the promise. And then he watches for your obedience, the way you behave that demonstrates your trust, your ability and your willingness to walk in the light of the promise. Finally, after all of that, he then brings you through the test and grants his blessing. See, you see this happening over and over again in the Bible. Think about Noah. You know, God made a promise that 
He was going to destroy the earth with a flood, but he was going to preserve Noah and his family. He then tested Noah to see if he would believe, even though the flood didn't come for many years. Then he watched for Noah's obedience, demonstrating his trust by building the ark in the middle of the desert. And when he saw Noah's obedience and trust, only then did he give him the blessing of a brand new world. Uh, then there's Abraham. God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. God made the promise of a son. And then there were years of delay while God waited and watched to see if Abraham would believe and if he would behave in obedience and trust, demonstrating his faith. And finally, years later, Abraham was rewarded with the son of promise. Anybody remember Joseph? Joseph, I'm going to elevate you above your brothers. Here it is again. There's the promise given in the form of dreams about his family bowing before him. Then the test as he's sold by his brothers into slavery. Then watch for obedience and trust as Joseph resists the advances of Potiphar's wife. And finally, the reward of blessing. Thirteen years later, as Joseph is elevated to prime minister of the land of Egypt. This is how God works. This is how God works with you. He reassures you with a promise of hope, but the promise is sometimes delayed. It may look like it will never happen. You're in a test. Will you obey? Will you trust? Will you keep holding on? Will you stay true? Your reaction to the delay is what will determine the outcome, whether or not you receive the blessing and the reward. All of the testing is designed with one primary goal, to teach you to trust. Listen, listen, there are, there are some things more important than receiving blessings. Learning to trust God is more important than any gift he could ever give you. Look again at what God says in verse 4. He says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Watch this. That I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. When the passage out of Egypt was blocked by the Red Sea, it was a test. When the cloud of God's presence turned right and led Israel into the wilderness, it was a test. When they couldn't drink the water at Marah, it was a test. When the food ran out, it was a test. Now, God is getting ready to provide food, and he says even his provision is a test. I, I remember back in the dark ages when I was in school, and the teacher would sometimes, on the spur of the moment, walk into the classroom, close the door, announce to the class, close your book and take out a clean sheet of paper. This is a pop quiz. Does anybody remember when they used to give pop quizzes? Yeah. No advance warning, no time to prepare, just take out a clean sheet of paper. 
I, 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 asked, I asked in the first service because I didn't know if they still did that. They, they assured me they're still giving pop quizzes even today. I was glad to hear that. I don't know why, but just, it just did something to my spirit to know that some things just never change. <laughs> you know, back in the day, it was fairly common. It used to strike terror in the hearts of the students. The test was designed to see if the student had been paying attention. It was designed to see if you did the assigned reading and if you remembered it and if you understood what you read. You didn't have time to get all worked up and nervous because there wasn't any notice. And there wasn't any way to avoid it. You know, you couldn't call in sick because it was sprung on you before you even knew what was happening. Now, the difference in those tests from my school days and the tests God brings is that the school tests were designed to let the teacher know how well you understood the material. When God puts you in a test, he already knows. The test is designed to let you know how well you understand. The test isn't designed to crush you, it's designed to reveal any weakness, any deficiency, so you know where additional work is needed. See, life's test will reveal what's on the inside. They will bring out the best or the worst, and what comes out is what will determine whether or not you pass the test. There's a second reason for these tests. They force you to grow in faith. See, God loves to bless you, but he values faith more than fortune. If you, if you never have to wait on God's promises, your faith will never grow. If he always meets your need before you even realize you have a need, you'll never learn to trust him. There are going to be many times in your life when you will face a test and others around you will tell you what you cannot do. They will say it can't be done even with God in the picture. It's hopeless. They will discourage you. They will say you're dreaming to wait on God and to keep trusting him. They will try to tell you you can't live by faith. Has anybody experienced that in your life? In those times, you need to remember that this is only a test to see if you will be defeated or determined. It's a test to see if you're going to have fear or faith. It's a pop quiz. You weren't expecting it. <laughs> you didn't have time to prepare. You just suddenly found yourself in the middle of it. It will reveal what's inside. It will cause your faith to strengthen and your trust to grow. And then there's a third reason for these tests. They serve to prove the faithfulness of God. See, no matter how much Israel grumbled at their condition, God remained faithful. Even when the people of God kicked and rebelled and grumbled about the test, God never failed to come through for them. Even the way God provided food for his people in the wilderness was a test. See, he gave some very specific instructions for how they were to be fed. He didn't set up a buffet line for them to go through. He didn't send the pizza delivery or the DoorDash person to their tent with their takeout order. He didn't stock a pantry or fill a walk-in freezer with enough supply for the rest of their journey. But he told Moses, he said, Moses, this is going to be a partnership. I'm going to supply the food, but the people are going to have to do their part. They're going to have to get up first thing in the morning and go out and gather enough food for that day. If they sleep in till the sun gets warm, they won't get anything because the food's going to melt away. They're going to have to do this every morning for six days of the week. 
Don't think you can be very industrious one day and gather enough for the entire week. Anything you try to keep till the next day is going to spoil. It'll get wormy. It'll smell. It will make you sick if you try to eat it. The only exception to this is on day six. On that day, gather enough food for two days because the seventh day is a day of rest. And by the way, this is the first reference in the Bible to the Sabbath. He said, I'm not going to send any food on the Sabbath, so you'll have to eat the leftovers from the day before. But it's going to be okay because the food that's gathered on day six is not going to spoil overnight like the food gathered every other day of the week. Now, that's the test. God will provide the food. The people gather the food in a prescribed way. And as long as the people do their part, God will do his part and everything will work out just fine. But the Bible says that some of the people were just like some of you. They tried to game the system. Some of them tried to gather a week's worth of food in one day, and it stunk up the camp. Some of them didn't want to get up and gather first thing in the morning. By the time they rolled out of their sleeping bag, the food had melted, and they went hungry. God said, this is the test. It's a test to get you to trust me. See, if I gave you a pantry stocked with enough food for the rest of the journey, you'd forget about me. If I just delivered it freshly prepared like a takeout order, you'd take me for granted. But I want to stay connected to you. I want a relationship with you. That's what God has in mind for you, a relationship. So to make sure that we stay close and to teach you about trust, I'm going to faithfully provide all you need, but I'm just going to give it to you one day at a time. Day by day by day by day by day, every morning you're going to be reminded that I am your source and I can be trusted to take care of you. It's going to be daily bread. Here's what I know. Every person who decides to follow the Lord is going to go through times of testing where you will find yourself in a hopeless situation for which there are no solutions and no human way out. Some of you listening to this message may find yourself in just such a situation right now. Some of you have just come through one of those tests. Others, you haven't gotten there yet. Just wait. There's one right around the corner with your name on it. In those times, you're going to cry and even grumble, and you're going to ask God to fix things. Now, hear this preacher today. The truth is that sometimes there are some things that cannot be fixed. Sometimes the way things are is just the way they are. And for the moment, at least, they're not going to change. Now, I know you were looking for a real powerful word of encouragement, but that's truth, and you need to know that. In those times, there is one thing I have discovered to be true. God isn't going to fix your plight, but God is going to provide the way of making it through. He may not get you out of it, but he will give you the grace to go through it. I told you about the predictable pattern. Now let me tell you about the providential provision. The providential provision. When God fed his people in the wilderness, his provision was, first of all, indisputably supernatural. 
In verse four, the Lord told Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. <laughs> what kind of crazy statement is that? I mean, think about that. Rain doesn't fall in the form of bread. Rain fa falls in the form of water. This isn't natural, it's supernatural. See, Israel can't feed herself in the wilderness. Pub Publix hasn't made it out there. There isn't even a Walmart or a dollar store. No McDonald's, no resource for food. And God says, I'm going to rain bread. This isn't a natural occurrence. This is a supernatural phenomenon. This is a God thing. And I need to say to somebody in the middle of a test, stop looking for God to answer the way you want him to answer. I, I want to back up and say that one more time. Stop looking for God to answer the way you want him to answer. Stop looking for him to provide in a way that will make sense to you. See, while you're fixated on God doing something you can understand, he's working over on the opposite side, bringing your help from a completely unexpected source. When God gives his providential provision, it's going to come in such a fashion that there will be no question that it came from the hand of the Lord. Somebody needs to remember Psalm 23 and 1. The Lord, not the government, not my second job, not my spouse, not my stock holdings, not my retirement account. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You need to remember Psalm 27 and 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You need to remember Psalm 46 and 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You need to remember Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The providential provision the Lord has for you is indisputably supernatural. And then I want you to see that it is an incomprehensible substance. The Bible says in verse 14 that the bread God sent was on the dew. And when the dew evaporated, it left a fine frost-like thing, fine as the frost, or a flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. Verse 31 says it was, uh, it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Think about this. That first morning, that first morning, Israel went outside their tents, and there's this stuff all over the ground. Had it been me, one of my first thoughts would have been, it's lying right here on the How sanitary is this? I mean, you expect me to pick up this stuff that's lying in the dirt and eat it? <laughs> well, apparently the sanitary issue didn't, didn't bother them too much. Israel had never seen anything like this before. When they saw it, they reached down and picked it up rolled it around between their fingers, smelled it, put a little on the tip of their tongue to taste it. And then their first response was, manhu, which in Hebrew means, what is it? Isn't that great? The word manna means, what is it? Manna is so otherworldly, so unnatural, so different than anything they have ever seen before. They can't come up with anything to compare it to. So the name what is it, sticks. <laughs> they have no other frame of reference to define it. 
What are you having for breakfast? What is it? <laughs> hey, mom, what's for lunch? What is it? <laughs> I don't know. Manna, what is it? Psalm 78, verses 23 through 25 describes it like this. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Watch this. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. Every morning, angel bakers brought fresh bread out of heaven's oven. I'm telling you, when you cannot see a way through the personal dry desert because there's not a way through it, there's not a way that you or anyone else on this planet can find a way through. Getting through this kind of test is not accomplished through the use of common everyday household items. Getting through dry times isn't done by the use of your wits or by your education, or by your determination, or by the power of positive thinking. When you can't find a way out, God knows how to get his provision to those who put their trust in him. And I'm telling you, he'll bring it from unexpected sources, and he'll package it in uncommon ways. And if you're not careful when God brings it, you'll just chalk it up to coincidence, or good fortune, or somebody else's generosity, and you'll miss the fact that it wasn't coincidence. It was providence. It's the hand of the Lord bringing divine help just when you need it most. This providential provision is indisputably supernatural. It's an incomprehensible substance. And then I want you to see it is immensely satisfying. Verse 31 says it was like coriander seed white and its taste was like wafers with honey. It was filling. It was sweet to the taste. It was nourishing. It was satisfying. This is the bread they ate for 40 years of wilderness wandering. They had manna every way you could possibly have manna. Verse 23 talks about them baking it and about them boiling it. They mashed it and flattened it and made it into little thin round cookies. Manna wafers. They pounded it and ground it and baked it and made bread. Manna bread. Rolled it into balls, put it on a skewer, grilled it. Manna on a stick. (laughs) Added a little milk, formed a pudding. Manna pudding. (laughs) With manna wafers on top. (laughs) Threw in some cheese. Manna (laughs) cotti. Hey, 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 it's my sermon. I'll preach it my way. When you preach your sermon, you can preach it your way, okay? You got to have a little fun. God's providential provision was indisputably supernatural. It was was an incomprehensible substance. It was immensely satisfying. Last, I want you to see there was an inexhaustible supply. The, The instruction of the Lord in verse 16 was that every person in the camp of Israel was to gather an omer of manna every day. Now, a conservative estimate of the total number of Israelites who came out of Egypt is two million. Two million people in the Exodus. The ephah was a standard unit of measure in that day. And verse 36, the last verse of chapter 16, says an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us until we can 
find the conversion rates. In today's unit of measure, an omer is the equivalent of about six pints. So everybody was to gather six pints, and that was their food provision for the day. That means for two million people, there would need to be 12 million pints. Or when you convert that, it's about nine million pounds gathered every day. That's 4,500 tons. In order to ship that much food into the desert, someone has calculated it would require 10 trains, each train having 30 cars, each car hauling 15 tons, each and every day. Over a million tons of manna were gathered every year by Israel for 40 years. When Israel cried out for food in the natural, it seemed impossible to provide food for that many people in the middle of nowhere. But God said, just step back and watch me work. Every day, nine million pounds, 300 boxcars of manna each and every day for 40 years. Manna from heaven to supply the needs of God's people. I'm telling you, if God can take care of that many people for that long, in that kind of condition, with that many resources, he can take care of you. Isaiah 59 and 1 is still true. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Isaiah 41 and 10 is still true. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Philippians 4.19 is still true. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 is still true. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Lamentation 3, verses 22 and 23 is still true. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm telling you today, there are storerooms in the house of the Lord that have never been tapped. He's not going to give you everything you need for the rest of your journey, right, all at one time. But day by day, sometimes moment by moment, just when you need it, he'll extend his hand of grace and he'll bring providential provision to those who will put their trust in him. Somebody ought to praise him if you believe that today. Praise God. Praise God. Now, let me finish up this message by telling you that this manna in the wilderness is not only providential provision for the people of God, but it is also a prophetic picture that looks forward to a grand fulfillment in the person of Jesus. See, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, this, this, this event takes place on the heels of Jesus feeding 
5,000 men plus the women and children with a, with a little sack lunch. And then calming the stormy sea of Galilee. Well, now he has an encounter with a group of people, and, and here the people are asking Jesus for a sign, as if feeding 5,000 men wasn't enough of a sign. And, you know, they want a sign so they will know that he has been sent to them from God. In verse 31, here's what they said Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Well, then Jesus responds to them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Well, then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Well, then go down just a few verses later in verses 48 through 51. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he, watch the connection here between that, between him and the, and the story of manna that I've been preaching about. He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, just as he did for Israel, God has provided you with everything you need for spiritual health and perfect satisfaction. Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy the soul. If you find yourself in the middle of a test, if life has beaten you up, if you're stuck in a wilderness with no natural way of getting out, put your trust in Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Grab hold of Jesus. Every morning, pick up Jesus. He will keep you. He will sustain you. He will help you. He won't give you everything you need for the journey all at once. No need to, no need to think about that. No need to look for it. He's not going to give you everything you need all at one time. But day by day, every day, daily bread from the hand of the Lord will be provided. Yeah. I just came to this pulpit today to tell somebody, the Lord is going to see you through. And to encourage you by saying, you're going to make it when you put your trust in him. You're going to make it. Right now, you don't know how you're going to make it. Well, honestly, I don't know how you're going to make it either. Except you're going to put your trust in the Lord. And the Lord is going to provide just exactly what you need today. And when you, when you go to bed at not, tonight and you're worried about, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow. Don't worry. Because in the morning, there's, there's a fresh batch of manna. In, in the morning, there'll be, there'll be fresh grace. Fresh mercy fresh help. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, every day's got enough trouble of its own. Just, just, just live in the present. 
Deal with what's going on right now. Stop worrying about what happened yesterday. That's done. You can't do anything about it. You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. So don't worry about yesterday. And, and, and don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, most, let me, let me ask you this. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to stop. I really am. Uh, but let me ask you this. Do you remember what you worried about a year ago? This time a year ago? Do you remember anything you were worried about this time a year ago? You know, one of the reasons you don't remember it is because it never happened. You worried about it happening, but it didn't happen. And I want to tell you, most of what you're worried about happening tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, next week, next month, it's not going to happen. And by the time you get there, most of it will have already worked out. So live now. Live in the moment. You're going to make it. Because of daily manna. Daily provision. I've preached overtime, way overtime, but we had extra time with baby dedication, so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Stand. Stand. Come on. I got I to gotta quit. Bow with me for just a moment, would you please? I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody in this service that needed to hear this besides me, but just maybe. Just maybe there's somebody listening to this message and you'd say, Pastor, that message resonates with me because I needed to hear that God's at work today. I needed to hear that I'm going to make it. I, I needed to hear because I'm, I'm in the middle of something. And I needed to know that God's got an answer for me. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm, I, I just want to know who I'm praying for. If, if that's you and this is speaking to where you are. Would you just put your hand up real quick so that I know who you are and identify and can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over the house. And I can't see you online, but, it, but, it, but if it's speaking to you, why don't you just, where you are, just kind of raise your hand. You're not raising it to me. You're, you're raising it to the Lord. And Father, I'm praying for these people in this service. I just believe your Holy Spirit's talking to somebody right now. And I'm asking you to take this message and plant it deep in the heart and protect it so that the evil one cannot snatch the seeds away, but cultivate it so that it will spring up and will bear fruit in the lives of these people. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will help us, that you will teach us to trust you today and every day for daily bread. Teach us your ways, O Lord. And bring the help of your presence right where we need you the most. That's what I pray for in the lives of your people today, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We, we really don't have anywhere else to turn. So we're turning to you because you've invited us to do that. And we're putting our faith, our hope, our confidence, our trust in you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for bringing your help and doing for us what only you can do. 
pray this in Jesus' marvelous, wondrous name. Amen.